title for today's message is From Wasteland to Masterpiece. So if you're a note taker, whether it's on your smartphone or, or you've got one of these um, note cards that are next to you, um, this would be the title of your message. Jesus, I pray that you would uh, open up our minds and our hearts today and just lead us the way uh, you would want us to receive your word. Here's a definition of what a wasteland is, according to Merriam-Webster. It's a bleak and unattractive piece of land that has become barren and useless. Second part of that definition is an ugly and ruined place or area. So I start off with that because that is what a wasteland is, according to Merriam-Webster. And we're going to see how wastelands can beget masterpieces. Two things before we begin. The playing field for everybody here this morning is level. Here's what I mean by that. Is that we're all in one way or another walking through some sort of wasteland where it seems dry, where it seems desolate, it seems buried for Some of us, it might seem like a very ugly part of our lives. Some of us have different types of wastelands that we're going through. And we're all there. There are none of us that say, I'm in complete paradise right now. We we just don't live in utopia. And the second thing I would say is that One of the things that I want to drive home this morning is hope, is for us to trust in future grace. Think about that, future grace, something that is to come but we don't have yet, faith. I guess I throw this point in because I often find myself in conversations where I sitting across a table from somebody and I have to preface a conversation with, I'm not trying to just fill you up with good news. I'm not trying to fill you up with hot air to put a smile on your face. What I'm trying to do is take God's word, which is a hope of a better reality, good news, capital G, capital N, and I'm trying to expose that. And I don't know why I find myself there often, perhaps because often I hear, hey, I don't want a pep talk. That's not my job. And often I look across that table and I say, we've got enough people who tickle our ears. When I share something, it's in truth and love, a combination. Truth without love is just harsh. Love without truth is just kind of watered down. Little puppies and cute balloons and stuff. But a combination of truth and love, scripture calls us to speak. So what you hear today is not a pep talk. That's not my job. I'm not a coach. I'm a communicator of God's word, and I want to expose God's word. And God's word clearly, clearly drives us to believe in future grace. Clearly. It says that those who are children of God do not mourn like the world mourns. Why? Because we have a a hope of what? A future grace of what is to come. So, As we continue this morning, think about this concept of future grace. No matter how bad the wasteland 
will seem right now, no matter how bad it has seemed maybe for years for some of us. He says, I am a good father, an excellent father, unlike any earthly father. And I love to give good gifts to my children. And I'd actually pause there and say, do you believe that? That he wants to, he desires to give good gifts. Or is the situation so bare and so bleak, so ugly, that you've decided to say, no, it hasn't happened my way. So I put my hand up, and this hope of future grace is not a reality for me. I live in the right now. Chew on Hebrews 11.6. It says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith, what we can't touch, but yet we believe by grace. He says, that's what I want my children to have. I want them to believe that I am good because how can they sit across somebody, do live love, have a meal, and share encouragement with somebody if they don't believe it themselves? If they are neck deep in the wasteland and they don't believe that there is a hope of a better reality, where's the good news? Life is tough. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying to, despite every situation, put a big fake smile on there. No. But God is so extremely good. Do we see that? And I hope that we do today as we continue. I hope that this message of future grace is one that we can walk out of here today and say, He's taken note of me. And He has placed people around me to care for me in my wasteland that we are all traveling through this morning. We're going to talk about a story. Main characters are Ruth and Naomi. This is found in the Old Testament, first part of the Bible. The book is titled Ruth. It's the eighth book. So if you start in Genesis, you go eight books and you'll find Ruth. It's four chapters long. Hear me out. I highly recommend that you read four chapters. Highly recommend. Go to your smartphone. Download a free Bible app. It'll take you 20 minutes. Think about that. 20 minutes. Let God's word speak to you as only it can. I guarantee you will be blown away by the truth of it, by the encouragement. So here's a little context of Ruth and Naomi. Tells us that Naomi has a husband, And there is a great famine that comes to their land. So there is no food. There is no water. They've got to do something. They've got a couple of sons. So what do they do? They go from the land that is famished and they go find food somewhere else. They want to survive, right? We all want to survive, right? So they go. And the story gets tragic because Naomi's husband dies Ruth is Naomi's um, daughter-in-law. Her husband dies. Everybody's dead. There is no food. There's only poverty. There is no possession. There is nobody to take care of them. Talk about a wasteland. And here's what I hope can happen today, that we would not see the story of Ruth and Naomi and say, Poyo, I am neither like Ruth nor like Naomi. I'm not famished. I'm not poor. My husband hasn't died. My brother hasn't died. 
that would be a tragedy if you're like, that's not for me. God's word speaks to us today. And it says in Hebrews chapter 4 that it's like a sword that cuts. So just open your mind, please. That's all I'm asking. Open your ears. Listen. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? God's word. So I invite you to that. So all the men die. These women are poor, famished, powerless, widowed, exiled from their land. That's pretty bleak. Don't romanticize the Bible, please. Tragedy. As bad as it gets. And to make things worse, we're talking about two women. I make that point because when this was written in 12th century BC, that is a huge factor. If all these were happening to you right now, it would be huge. But to put more weight on it, they're women. There's nobody to look out for them. They're considered like dogs. It's rough for them. It's really bad for them. Is it rough for you right now? Are there things right now where it just seems like you're in that wasteland? Really rough, really tough. Is it? I know it is for me. It gets so bad that Ruth and her daughter-in-law, Naomi, decide to go find food somewhere else. And as they head back to another land, people who recognize Ruth say, oh, there's Ruth. That's pretty, uh, there's Naomi and Ruth. And this is Naomi's response, which will give us a glimpse of how bad things are. So people recognize her, right? She's coming back. And this is her response to the people who are glad to see her. She says, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty God has made life very bitter and sad. The Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent great misfortune upon me. So if we can be real anywhere, it should be here. I would contend that. I know I've had many conversations with a number of you where there's been tears. And life is tough. Have you ever felt like this? Is your story in here at all? I'm sad. And I went to bed bitter. Has that ever been you? I've often questioned... Why has this hand been dealt to me? Has, have you ever asked that? The Almighty is bringing me misfortune. You see your story there? You see how good God's word is? It meets us today. Do you have dreams that are dying? 
These women had husbands dying. You have dreams that are dying? Are you lonely? These women were lonely, powerless. Nobody to look out for them. Two women, 12th century BC. No income. No check coming in the mail to sustain them barely. No job to check into no matter how bad it is. Are you poor? I put in parentheses with joy and hope because I would contend that most people in this room are okay financially. So take that one out for a moment. But are you poor in joy and in hope? I mean, this is what joy is, that you're able no matter than used to know that there is a a hope of a better reality. That's what joy is. And sometimes we unfortunately confuse it with happiness, which is contingent upon good boss day, bad boss day, money in the bank account, no bank account, healthy, not healthy, relationship, no relationship. And happiness goes like this, roller coaster. Joy says, I know who's looking out for me. I can sit across the table from somebody and say, I know there is a hope of a better reality. Future grace. He desires to bless me. My job isn't to hammer this into your head this morning. My job is to communicate it. And you let it take root in your heart. You let those roots be water and let it grow deep down in you. How are you in the hope department? I've seen him flex his muscle for me before and I'm going to trust that that future grace is coming again. How? I don't know. I don't. I don't. What I can tell you is he tells us everything and communicates what he wants to give us in his word. Why do we have resources out for you? Why do I send you emails? Say, read this. Why do I encourage you to download this app or that app? Because if we don't know what he wants for us, how do we look for it? How are you in the joy and the hope department? Does it feel poor, bleak? Meager, barren, like a wasteland? If so, I'm sorry. I truly am. My family and I weep for our friends. But you know greater than that what our desire is? That God's spirit would work? How only he can work? That wouldn't we communicate his word that when I say man we're here with you do you not see that as a pep talk ever that you would see that as God's word says let's trust and hope in future grace you hoping you have joy of what is to come good things come from a good God. So where is the masterpiece? All I see is a wasteland. 
Poyo, let's sit down so you can hear all of my garbage. See if you can still look at me and say there is hope in my wasteland. Where is it? It's in future grace. This is what happens when Naomi, I'm sorry, when Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law, are so desperate they need to eat. How do you eat in 12th century BC? You don't go to a restaurant. You don't go to a store. You don't go pull your debit card and swipe it somewhere and you get food. You go to a field and you hope that you can pick up some grain that somebody left there. You go home, you boil it, and you eat scraps. Naomi and Ruth know they need to survive. And you know what they're trusting in? Future grace. It's as bleak as it gets for these two women. Here's where you tune in a little bit more to what God's saying this morning through me. This is where you tune in a little bit more. They're in the wasteland up to here. And God works in everything for his glory and our good. Ruth goes to a field and begins to pick up the scraps. The people who work on the field are leaving behind as they pick up the grain, put it in baskets to go process. And then Ruth is noticed by the field owner. His name is Boaz. And this is how he approaches Ruth and what he says and this is where we see future grace in a tangible way in a beautiful way the wasteland all of a sudden there's a masterpiece and there's beauty in it he says listen he's talking to Ruth stay right here with us when you gather grain she's literally taking scraps that don't belong to her she's on a field that is not hers Don't miss God's beauty and power in how he moves pieces of the puzzle that we don't even see are moving. The owner of the field comes and says, stay right here with us. What? Why? You know me? Have I given you something that you would give me? Let's continue. Stay when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Exclusive, it's all yours. Stay right behind the young women working my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. I love this. God's saying, I'm protecting you. Boaz is telling Ruth, I'm taking care of you. I know those guys are out for you. They know you and Naomi sleep By yourselves at night, there are no men to take care of you. How does that speak to us today? I'm protecting you, God says. Hit pause on your life for a moment. Think of every single way that God has protected you. 
It was his hand. It was his goodness. It's his love. His mercy. He's saying, I'm looking out for you. I've noticed you. He continues to say, and when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at Boaz's feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Here's the humility. No sense of entitlement. Zero. What? You're going to let me work your field and take everything I want? And not only that, but you protect me from these men, but not only that, but you've worked all day to pull water and I can have some of your water and I can be here? Why? You're so kind. Can I encourage us all to take note of the humility? You ever been around somebody who says, I deserve? God owes us nothing. That's not a truth that people like to hear. I don't like to hear it. Pollo, you are a broken sinner. Talk about his word cutting through our bones. Take note of the humility. God, I drove here today. Grace, your love unpacked and put into motion. God, this morning I went to my closet and I chose that, that, and these. I chose my breakfast this morning. Talk about grace, abundant grace. But we, unfortunately, tend to say, I deserve that. I worked for it. That's why I had it. He says, what do you have that hasn't been given to you? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. You are what you are by the grace of God. What qualifies us for his love is acknowledging that we're so disqualified. That's the beauty of the gospel. Why would he take note of me? Why would God tell you, here's the field? Why would he say, I'm protecting you? Why would he say, here's the water? Enjoy. Because we caught his attention? Because we did such good things? We don't impress him. Isaiah says that on our best days, our works are like filthy rags before him, before a holy God. That's not a burden. That's the good news that despite all that, he says, I love you and I give you more than enough. That should produce hope and joy. Chew on that for a moment. That should produce hope and joy. I give you more than enough. He gives us what we need for the moment, not always what we desire. He's a good God. He's working masterpieces from the wasteland. It gives us an ability to wake up, hold our head high and say, he's taken note of me. Look at the people he's put around me to love me. 
provide for me. He says, that's how much I care. You see the masterpiece? From the wasteland, as bleak and dark and desolate as it gets. You see it? This is Vic. He is a Brazilian artist, sculptor, world renowned now. He's really famous for some work he did at the Jardim Gramacho in Brazil. It is the biggest wasteland in the world. At that wasteland, there are many workers that are called catadores. And what their job is, literally their job, is to dig through all of the waste and to pull out stuff that's recyclable. And then people come through the scrapyard and they sell that for pennies. These workers find scraps of food and they set up their little uh, boiling pot and they eat what they find from the wasteland. This is life for people. And then Vic took note of this. He's been all over the world. Galleries in San Francisco and New York and Italy. But he took note of his people. And he said... What if a masterpiece can be born from the wasteland? I'm going to show you a video for a documentary that they did on Vic's work. It's going to explain a little bit more, and then I'll come back and um, tie it up. Masterpieces come from the wastelands. Our only hope in life is a promise that Jesus has given us. And he says, I want you to have abundant life. John 10, 10. The work of Jesus on the cross of forgiveness is greater than Boaz's work of saying, Ruth, work my field. It's greater than Vic's work of going back to his people and saying, I'm going to make artwork out of where you guys live. That stuff is good. I'm not discounting it. It's beautiful. But as I close up, I want us to see the diamond in this. And it is a work of Jesus. It is to do some introspective work in our life this morning. You and me. And say, I've been in this wasteland for a while but I know he cares and he loves. And if I were to hit rewind on my life, I'd see his tangible hand all over. His protection, his love, his abundant providence. Some of the work that Vic did was sold at some of the most uh, 
notable auction houses in the world. One of his works I read sold for $64,000 and all that went back to the people. The work of Jesus is greater than that. Here are some things I ask that we remember as we finish out. Jesus has taken note of you. He knows you by name. Can you let that sink into your heart, please? The creator of the world, the one who spoke and lightness and light and darkness were separated. He says, I know you. He's taken note of you, of where you are in your wasteland or wastelands. He's working for you right now. There are things happening, friends, that you have no idea are happening. What do we do in those moments? Grow in intimacy with Him? Opportunities? To say, reveal yourself more so I can know you better? Don't we spend life trying to know people better? Friends? Internet friends, across the sea friends, neighbors. Don't we spend life trying to do it? That the one who has noticed you and taken note of you and has laid down his life for you, John chapter 15, 13, no greater love than that somebody would lay down his life for another. He has taken note of you. He is working right now. Future grace. Please tell me you see the beauty in that. He's working right now. And he's creating a masterpiece out of your junk, out of your garbage. Out of mistakes, out of hurts, out of dreams that seem to be dead. He says, I'm working. A masterpiece. Because at the end of the day, people will look at your life and the spotlight goes back to him. It doesn't make sense. If somebody would have told me 14, 15 years ago, you are a drug dealer in Juarez who's been kidnapped and you're going to be a pastor of a church in Uptown. Tell me that makes sense, please. You want to talk about a masterpiece being born in the wasteland? There you go. That's my story. Yours is just as amazing. But what if there is future grace? What if hope and joy are something that surround us from this moment on? What if we count on the people who are sitting next to us and in front of us and behind us right now and we do life? What if that's one of the ways that he has provided Not another task, but life. He says, trust in future grace. Poyo, you don't know how broken and hurt I am. You're right, I don't. 
most stories of you, you have shared with my family and I. And you know I would never dare discount anything from those stories. But you know what I would do? Look at you and say, there is future grace. What if we let God's word be an anvil that comes and smashes your opinion and my opinion? What does Martin Luther say about trying to reason everything in God? It says it's his biggest whore. Reason. God says, walk by faith, my friend. Son, daughter, I'm working right now. I've taken note of you. I am creating a masterpiece. So the beautiful good news that we want and we should walk away with today is that at the cross, love was unpacked. It was put into tangible motion so that we might trust and believe that masterpieces can be born in the wasteland. This is, my friends, what we hang on to today and tomorrow. And we push rewind and we go back to it often. And on Tuesday, we push rewind and we go back to it often. It's not about being educated daily, right? It's about being reminded Jesus, work in our hearts what's pleasing to you.